Welcome to Remember, a podcast about building community. I'm Carla Salter. Hi, everybody. I'm really excited about my guest for Episode 9, Sue Lenander of Climate Change for Families and Plant for the Planet. If you listen to the intro episode of this podcast, you might already know that it's about celebrating our connections and honoring the work of those who came before. So before I tell you about Sue, I want to tell you about one of my sheroes, the late Kenyan activist Wangari Mathai. Wangari Mathai was a powerful, compassionate, brilliant force who is best known for her efforts to stop deforestation in her home country. The Greenbelt movement she founded is responsible for planting over 30 million trees in Kenya. There's a lot more to her story and to her work, and I encourage you to find a book or look online to learn more about her. Wangari Mathai died in 2011, but it was her example that inspired a German fourth grader named Felix Finkbeiner to found Plant for the Planet in 2011. Plant for the Planet is a youth-led organization that focuses on combating climate change by planting trees. Felix is a young adult now, and the organization he founded has planted over 15 billion trees. There are now chapters all over the world, including one in Seattle. Which brings me back to Sue. Sue Lenander is the program director for Plant for the Planet Seattle, which, by the way, she does in a volunteer capacity. She also has a day job. She is also, I learned during our interview, an extremely committed and courageous activist. I wanted to interview Sue to find out how she recruits families and spreads her organization's message, and to talk about the connection between planting trees and community building. We talked about those things, but Sue also shared a bit of her own story, how she came to realize that her life choices had contributed to our climate crisis and how she honors her commitment to be part of the solution. She has participated in, or is connected to, some of the most impactful direct action climate resistance of this decade. I'll add lots of links in the show notes so you can learn more about all the stuff we talk about, and get involved if you're so moved. Get ready to be inspired by my conversation with Sue Lenander. All right, welcome Sue. Hi. What does community mean to you? When I think of community, I think of people coming together with common interests or beliefs. When I think of community, I think of how lucky I am to have a strong activist community that I'm a part of. It helps to be able to know that I have support and um, like-minded people to spend time with and, and work on projects that we all believe in. And community, well, I, you know, I think that there's three stories that are going on right now in our society that, and, you know, there's the business as usual, where we're all looking inward, trying to survive in a culture that is based off of fossil fuels and (laughs) capitalism. Mm -hmm. And that, that tends to make us separate from others and um, try to, you know, figure out what do I need to fit it. And it actually, I believe, creates a hole inside of us that we are always trying to fill. Where can I go? What can I do to fill this 
empty feeling. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then there's the story of the great unraveling where, you know, we start looking around and seeing that a society that's based on consumerism and uh, fossil fuel use isn't sustainable and uh, is starting to crumble. And um, that can make us feel even more isolated and in fear because we don't have a community or a society that's willing to talk about it openly. So we you know, try to medicate ourselves even more to fill that hole of fear and grief. And I found that to fill that hole of fear and grief and pain, the medicine really is community and action. And the third story is the great turning where we start realizing that we're all connected. All of us humans are a community mm-hmm. on this planet. We're one community that has the common interest that if we don't have a healthy planet, none of us survive. I think that that helps us to be able to start looking outside of ourselves and realizing that once my basic needs are being met, how can I make sure other people's basic needs are being met? And um, realizing that together we're strong, but individually it's not working. Uh, so can you tell us a little bit about the relationship between climate change for families and Plant for the Planet? So could you tell us about both organizations and what they're about? Certainly. Um, well, Climate Change for Families is a 501c3. Okay. Um, the mission for Climate Change for Families is to help build a strong family-directed climate recovery movement in the Pacific Northwest, amplify the voices of youth, marginalized communities, sentient beings, and the planet. Um, Our flagship program is Plant for the Planet. I see. And Plant for the Planet is an organization that was started in 2007 by a fourth grader in Germany who uh, began giving slide presentations after being inspired by Al Gore's movie and um, started thinking about planting trees, being inspired by um, Wangari Maathai. Yeah, yeah, she's amazing. And and so his name's Felix Finkbeiner, and, and from just him giving presentations in schools, um, he set up um, their umbrella is three-point plan for climate recovery, planting a trillion trees. That's 150 trees per person on the planet to sequester the carbon that's in the atmosphere and get it back in the ground, and then to keep fossil fuels in the ground. And the third point is to fight poverty with climate justice. So um, they call themselves climate justice ambassadors. We give day-long workshops for kids called academies. And there's 64,000 kids around the world that have gone through these trainings now. It's grown to 193 countries. And Michael Foster um, was a dad doing slide presentations after he went to Al Gore has a training called um, Climate Reality Project. And he goes around the world training people to give slide presentations about climate change. And so then when Michael went through that training, he wanted to go speak in schools. And so Google Plan for the Planet and called them up in Germany and said, why isn't there Plan for the Planet in, in Seattle? Mm-hmm. <laughs> he said, well, nobody's asked. So he started the first chapter in the United States here. Okay. And so how? what is your involvement? 
Well, I'm the president of Climate Change for Families and the program director for Plant for the Planet. Michael Foster was the president of the group. He was the one that started the nonprofit, and basically the Climate Change for Families is the umbrella that helps raise money for the kids to plant trees and have pizza at their monthly meetings. <laughs> and uh, on October 11, 2016, Michael was part of the five people called the valve turners who uh, shut off all the tar sands coming into the United States from Canada. There were five of them, one in Washington, one in Montana, two in Minnesota, and Michael was in North Dakota. And together they shut the emergency valves. They called ahead, told the companies that they were going to be doing this because Oh, they needed to raise awareness that we need to stop using fossil fuels and just went into these sites and cut the chains and turned the I bells remember off. learning about that. And you can read about it. Their website's shut it down that today, and they actually videoed the whole thing, and then they um, waited for the police to arrive. Um, part of the action was to make sure that the valves were turned on safely, so... They called ahead, and, and these valves are safety valves. That's what they're for, to shut down the, the oil. And then they were all charged with felony charges. And so Michael didn't want a felon to be running program, so I said that I would step up and, and take on the role. The person in Montana, Ken Ward, ended up having like 400 hours of community service. Um, Leonard Higgins in Montana uh, ended up with three three years of probation, and then his felony charge would be wiped. Michael, he ended up with a year in prison and then two years parole, and that his felony charges wouldn't be removed. So he's in the Bismarck Penitentiary right now. Wow. Um, and then the uh, Emily and Annette, who are the valve turners in Minnesota, and uh, Ben and Steve were folks that were actually just videoing, and they were also arrested and charged, the same as the person who was videoing Michael's action ended up with three years parole. So the, Mon the Minnesota judge actually said that they could use what's called the necessity defense, and that's when uh, your house is on fire and somebody breaks in and destroys your door and saves the baby and then takes you to the people take you to court saying you broke our door. They say, well, it was a necessity. It was more important for us to break the door down than and so we broke the law to, to for a, a cause that cause. was bigger. And, yeah. and so what they're saying is, you know, this is an emergency. And if we're not acting like it's an emergency, people don't realize it's an emergency. And so the prosecutor filed an appeal, and yesterday, actually, the appeal was denied. So at this point, going forward, the, the folks in Minnesota, when they have their trial, will be able to actually base their trial on climate change. Unlike um, Michael, who had uh, James Hansen, flew in from uh, or Helsinki just to be able to testify, and the judge would not let him come into the courtroom uh, because she didn't want to confuse the jurors about climate change. So this is a, a historic event that they're going to get to use the climate change um, necessity defense. So I get to be the one that 
um, now steps into the role is running Plant for the Planet and Climate Change for Families. And I believe when Michael comes back, he'll probably help us. But having a, a felon stigma, <laughs> stigma, stigma um, you know, some That's parents real. will not yeah. feel comfortable with that. So. Well, how did you and Michael connect and how did you become involved at all? Well, when I first started uh, getting involved in activism about five years ago, I too wanted to, I started volunteering at 350 Seattle and wanted to take the Al Gore training. And so I looked up who was doing that training, who had gone through the training here in Seattle and, and Michael was one of the people. So I called him and said, could I meet with you to talk to you about this training? And he said, well, why don't you come down to an event that we're doing? Um, it's the State of the Planet event at City Hall next Saturday, and Seattle's Michael Bryan from the Seattle City Council awesome. will be there, and the kids are going to be talking about putting warning labels on gas pump nozzles. And so, and, and then we can talk after. So I showed up and watched the kids speaking and secretly thinking, gosh, if I could present like that, that would be amazing. <laughs> and um, And started to get to know the kids, and they were just all so inspirational and all just so fun to be around so I just started going to the monthly meetings and volunteering and then you took on more and more responsibility yeah okay five years ago if you would have told me that I would be where I am today I would have said there is no way I work at Seattle Children's Hospital and I wanted to um, become a child life specialist and that meant I had to finish the four-year degree I started in 1978 so I signed up for classes at Antioch University, and that's where I was exposed to the works of Joanna Macy talking about the Great Turning and, and started to realize that climate change was a thing and starting facing it and realizing I needed a community and started volunteering at 350 Seattle. And I went to their monthly meeting and I got there the night that they were talking about the Polar Pioneer, Shell's big Arctic drill was coming to town and we had to do something what can we do and in a room of probably 50 people said well why don't we just go out there and block them in our kayaks and and from that silly thought came a plan to well we'll have a land action and we'll have the water actions and the two things that scare me the most are speaking in public and and getting into a kayak. <laughs> so I was more than happy to be on the land team. But as the they started offering free kayak trainings for people down at Alki to help people learn Get about ready. being, I, t- I took a training just to see what it was like, and it turned out it was kind of fun to be in the kayak. And but I was only doing it for my personal thinking. Well, maybe someday I can go out and kayak with some friends or something um but then I went back the following week and took another training and and started really liking it but thinking you know I'll still be on the land action and so when uh, we got the call at midnight that they were going to start pulling the the polar pioneer out and taking it to the arctic um, we all needed to show up and get out there in our kayaks. And I was down there helping everybody, and Michael Foster was down there. And I, he said, are you going to come down and get in the boat? And I'm like, no, no, no. And he goes, well, well, why don't we just get you a kayak just in case you want to? And so I'm like, okay, well, but I'm, I'll, 
you know, maybe I'll be one of the third waves or something. You know, I'm, I, and then, well, maybe, you know, just put on your gear and then if you want to do it, you can. And so, <laughs> and so 4.30 in the morning, somehow I ended up sitting in this kayak with in the pitch dark on the Alki Beach with a little tea light at the end of the kayak. And they said, see out there where the police boats and the Coast Guard boats are? Just head for them, and they just pushed me into the darkness. <laughs> and um, as I started paddling over, just thinking, "Wow, what what am I a part of?" For uh, several hours, as the light came, there were people out there, and we 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 kind of slowed them down, maybe for a little bit. But as that huge, huge drill floated past me, I just made a commitment to myself that the next time we need people. I'm going to help motivate as many people and families in Seattle to help us. The way I raised my kids, I have um, a 27-year-old and a 32-year-old, and the way I raised them, thinking that I was being a good parent by flying them on vacations and giving them lots of meat and driving a huge suburban around. Everything that I did thinking I was a good parent is the reason that we are in this situation now of climate crisis. And I feel that at the at that time I did not know what I was doing, but now I know. And so I feel like I need to, I what better way to devote the rest of my life than to help save this beautiful place that we live and make it um, a safe place for um, future generations. And I love the Plan for the Planet program because of their three-point plan. Uh, I've talked to climate scientist James Hansen, who is the grandfather of uh, climate change, and his recipe through um, all of his research is the same as the kids' plan. Um, you know, to he says that we need to cut our carbon emissions 6% a year and plant the trillion trees in order to get back to a stable climate. So the kids turned out to be pretty wise, <laughs> which is no surprise. So how do you uh, recruit and engage families in this work? But how do you find the kids? How do you put on these trainings? And then once they've been through the trainings, how do you maintain engagement with them? Well, we put on probably three or four of these academies a year and usually they are followed up then by a pl tree planting um, sometimes in the summertime when we are not able to plant trees then we'll follow up with planting at community gardens under teaching how the importance of healthy soil to sequester carbon also we always have a parent meeting built into the academy so that while the kids are learning about climate change and learning how to present uh, about climate change, the parents are also having a place to learn about climate change and, and have a safe space to talk about their thoughts and their fears around raising children in this historic time. So when we have our monthly meetings, we have two monthly meetings, one in Wallingford and one in West Seattle. We also have a parent meeting at those meetings so that we have a space for parents to come together and talk about what their thoughts are and build the community. Mm -hmm. But also then we 
to talk about the action and that the, the opportunities that the kids and the families have to take action. Everything that we work on is about building the community and then how we can take action together. We go on monthly outings. We plan uh, nature outings for the families. That's the best way to build communities, to get out in the nature and um, have the kids play together and play with their parents in nature. We do low tide beach hikes and snowshoeing, snow tubing. We're going to be going on a hike, doing forest bathing next month. So, and we do a lot of potlucks and summertime picnics. So building community means taking time to actually be together Mm -hmm. and saving the planet together is fun. And if it isn't fun, people aren't going to want to do it. <laughs> so, you know, there's always that element of bringing families together and getting to know one another and to be vulnerable and build relationships. And that takes time. <clears throat> what are the, some of the actions you were talking about that you give families information about where how they can take action? What are some of the, the actions that the families have been involved in? Well, when you, like everything is falling under those, the three-point plan. So f as far as keeping fossil fuels in the ground, we work closely with other organizations to help them with campaigns. So stand.earth uh, has had a campaign about uh, Starbucks Better Cup campaign, raising awareness that the cups are not recyclable because they have a oil liner and um, that they're used by 80% virgin trees. So the kids got together with Stand and, and they did a lot of elaborate theatrical campaigns. They built a big cup monster and had kids in the uh, mermaid costumes and went <laughs> to the headquarters and demanded that they re rethink you know, how they're making their cups. They also did a Carnival Cruise campaign because the cruise lines use bunker fuel, which is the worst fuel that they could be using. It's not healthy for the people on the ships. It's when the filters, the particulates land on the snow in the Arctic, it starts melting the snow. So it's just, so the kids dressed up in dolphin, in polar bear costumes and megaphones and handed out information to people going on their cruises. So, hmm. you know, we, we try to be creative and fun. They speak at rallies. They speak at marches. <clears throat> they present at their schools. So there's th those opportunities. And then the tree planting. Okay. Um, we plant locally. We usually partner with other planting groups. Um, and then when we can't plant, the kids raise money to plant trees around the world. In the summertime, they like to do the lemonade stand where we have a stand that they can take out to, you know, like down by Alki, and, and they give free lemonade, but then a dollar donation for a tree. And that's a good way for them to raise awareness about planting trees and raise money to plant trees. They do bake sales. And so the tree planting is what we're known for mm -hmm. <laughs> but um, the in the academy uh, the kids start out they call themselves climate justice ambassadors after they go through an academy so the climate justice ambassadors who've been with us will give a slide presentation to the new kids about climate change mm -hmm. and then throughout the course of the day the new kids will learn how to give a slideshow to their parents at the end of the day so they, they're learning how to give public speaking presentations, and um, that helps them. We, we go, the kids speak at hearings, 
They go and talk to the legislators personally. They are working on the campaign now to get the warning labels on the gas pump nozzles. They're working closely with city council and and hopefully that their campaign will be finished this year and and, and it will actually be a thing. But um, for them to learn how to go and walk into a legislator's office and sit down and actually have a conversation about climate change, usually... Uh, the people, the adults that they speak to don't realize that they are actually very informed mm-hmm. and can have a, a, an articulate conversation. When we went for, we had a youth lobby day recently and 150 kids from around the state showed up and they had a rally and a march and they planted two redwood trees on the Capitol grounds and then went in and spoke with the legislators and one of the legislators said well you know we've we've been trying we've been doing so many things you know and 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 started kind of just poo-pooing the kids basically and one of the kids said yes we realize you've been doing but it's not enough mm-hmm. you know it's helping to amplify their voices because unfortunately the mess that we're in, the adults in this generation are pretty much responsible for, and the kids in this generation are going to have to live through it. So a couple of things. One, can you tell me a little bit more about the warning labels? I'm intrigued. Yes. um, There is a group called Our Horizon in Canada who is raising this idea that just like cigarette packages have a warning, that gas pump nozzles should have a warning label on them saying the use of this product causes climate change and the effects are and then mm-hmm. so there's it's a little sleeve that just fits over the gas pump so it's raising awareness about every time you 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 take that gas pump and hold it in your hand you're going to be reminded that hey this is the problem and it you know it's not to guilt people it's to raise awareness like oh this is what I'm doing and I have choices. Mm-hmm. And we've been working on this for three years. And Berkeley has been on the cusp of, of starting this. So you're trying to get it in the city of Seattle, Seattle right now. Yeah. And so at first, the city council was concerned that maybe we should let Berkeley go first and then Work out follow the them. But yeah. at this point, um, Michael Bryan says, why don't we help amplify the campaign? And if that's what the youth want. We can make it happen. So the kids are organizing a youth march. One of our youth, Jamie Margolin, is organizing a national youth march in Washington, D.C. on July 21st and sister marches around the country. And we're organizing a Seattle march. And it will um, one of the uh, focuses will be the gas pump campaign. Mm-hmm. So that's a good segue into my other question, which was, how are the kids self-organizing and how are they, how does that work? Do they educate themselves about these issues and then present them to each other? Are there meetings adult-led? How how do they decide what they work on and organize themselves? So we're youth-led. So that's a, a fine line of... I'd like to think of it as that we kind of build a ship and then they can decide what they want to do. Um, we give them opportunities. 
We have so many people giving us opportunities to speak and to do plantings and to, you know, my inbox is always full of possibilities. And so I bring them to the kids and I bring them to the families. I feel like it's my my job to give them the opportunities and they don't have to do any of them um, and they can do pick and choose what they like. Uh, we have a yearly retreat that we go on up by Mount Rainier and we work on building community and then action plans for the coming year and the kids talk about ideas that they have to work that they want to work on so um, it's it's a balance of always being able to make like the introductions to the the city council and and then have discussions with the kids about you know what the issues are and and what are their thoughts and then you know let them go in and 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 talk and the age range for your climate ambassadors is pretty much 7 to 17, 18, yeah. The plan for the planet model was 9 to 14, I believe, or 9 to 12. But we started out with 9 to 14-year-olds, and then they started aging out. So we have the young adult group that we try to support. Uh, the, the kids are also on a Washington lawsuit, several of them, uh, against the depart- the government of Washington demanding that they use science to create some kind of policies to address climate change. And then three Plan for the Planet kids are on the national lawsuit. Um, 21 plaintiffs are suing the, gover- the government um, with this, using, you know, the same, uh, same message that, that they have life, life liberty, and freedom. Um, and they can't do that if it's a constitutional right to have a planet that they can live on. And, and they're not only, the, the government is not only not protecting them, they're actually doing everything they can to continue building fossil fuel infrastructure. So, Do you find that there's something inherently grounding or connecting about the act of tree planting, sort of aside from all the other work that you guys do? Well, that's my favorite day is planting tree day. I, I don't think there's anything more fun to watch than kids planting trees. I'm always amazed at how they, they're so enthusiastic from the very beginning. They love plant, the shoveling the dirt. They love playing with the soil and, and holding the worms and uh, experiencing, you know, just getting their hands in the dirt. And... Uh, they seem to have an inherent respect for these trees. They hold them like babies. They are gentle. They, When they're done patting the soil around them and they're in the ground, it it always amazes me that they will always, I, every time they will say, so now what should we name it? Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. I feel like that's that part of us that knows that we're con- all connected that this energy that runs through the trees runs through us. And it's just so beautiful to watch. And they feel so good after they've planted the trees. They're part of a program called Moving the Giants. We've been working with that group who are cloning some of the biggest trees on the planet in California um, and help moving them, planting them in Washington because... The redwoods are starting to suffer in California because of climate change. And so the kids have, there's been over 300 trees already planted 
in Washington, and that's one of the kids' favorite projects is to plant these little tiny redwoods, realizing that you know they they know that they could live for hundreds and hundreds of years. My family's been involved in some tree planting. I remember the first time we did it was a few years ago, and it was a green Seattle day, and we planted it in a, in a little small forest in our part of town. And the day of the event, it was just pouring. It was November. It was just, it was pouring and freezing cold. And I just thought, oh, I did not want to, my kids are not going to want to be out there. And they had the time of their lives. I mean, they, just like you said, getting their hands in the dirt and holding these little trees. And they named every single one. <laughs> and several times a week, they check on them. You know, they watch them through the seasons. One of them was a Gary Oak, so, you know, it gets leaves and then it doesn't. And several of them were firs and other kind of evergreens. But every year they plant a few more and they know all their names and they go to the spots where they were planted. And it feels like I always say when you guys, you know, are 80 years old, bring your grandkids here. I mean, let's all pray that they can and that there's a planet when they're 80 years old. But bring your grandkids here and say, you know, I planted these trees and I feel like that's such a grounding connecting experience to connect you to the place where you're from and make you a part of it. At the end of every one of our meetings the kids say a poem and they always loved who gets to be the leader of the poem and and they all stand in a circle and they say be like a tree in pursuit of your cause stand firm grip hard thrust upward, bend with the winds of change, and learn tranquility. So is there anything you wanted to talk about that I didn't ask you? Probably the most important thing to say is that I don't think we understand fully that 2018, we're in a window of grace. Um, the next couple of years are the most important years. Once we hit the tipping points, we don't get a second chance. You know, it's been my work to try to give that message to to families so that they can hear it and respond. It's really a hard message to hear, but as that window of grace is closing, I, I just want to make sure that parents have the opportunity to, to know this is happening, and then they have a choice of how they will respond to it. My daughter and her husband have made a decision not to have children because of climate change. And even though, you know, I will never know the grandchildren that I possibly could have had, I support them 100% because I also don't know if I have the strength to have a, a grandchild living through this if um, we don't turn it around. And... Um, it turns out there are so many kids <laughs> that um, I can spend time with and mm -hmm. be an important part of their lives. So um, I don't miss that at all. It's lucky that I have so many wonderful kids that I am working with and, and helping, and they're helping me through this. If you're afraid or you're concerned, find a group, find a community, build a community, and and do something, you'll feel better, yeah. and it'll make a difference. People all over the world are, are, are making a difference.